This week on the 414 Live, we'll be looking into how emotions play a part in the process which B2B decision makers go through in making a purchase decision. I'll be speaking with Nick Haig, who surveyed 2,000 business decision makers to understand in detail how these people make buying decisions for their organization. Nick will be sharing his findings which reveal the factors which help or hurt a supplier's chances of winning business. Ultimately, his research will be of major interest if you are keen to help improve your company's abilities to attract new clients. Yes, good morning, good morning. My name's James Rostance, and this is the 414 Live here on LinkedIn Live, each and every Thursday morning at 11, at 11.30. So if you have not joined us before, the 414 is for you as a professional B2B marketer, for you to expand and enhance your professional knowledge each and every week. And the way that we do that is by interviewing some of the greatest and most interesting minds in B2B marketing right now. So one of the topics uh, that is really uh, strong and popular at the moment is the concept uh, that buying with emotion is very much a major factor when it comes to making B2B purchase decision-making processes. And a gentleman uh, called Nick Haig has uh, undertaken some fantastic research to look into uh, this subject in more detail. And I thought it would be a really good thing to get him on the show and to share about this research that he's undertaken uh, so that you can learn all of the wonderful things which he's uncovered, uh, which ultimately go to making uh, sure that a potential, uh, potential customers end up choosing you and your company. So to help with that and to look into this research in more detail, please welcome live from Manchester, Mr. Nick Haig. Hi there, James. Good to be with you this morning. Good to, good to have you on the show, Nick. Thank you for joining me. Uh, so, Pleasure. Nick, uh, so with the reports, uh, could you start by just explaining how and why is it that you came to uh, doing this um, research? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, understanding the, the B2B buyer mindset is core to, to B2B marketing. And uh, last year, we joined uh, Denso Aegis Network uh, as a group, and our sister company, Gyro, had previously carried out some research looking at emotions. They called it the Business Feelings Index. Um, but it was very qualitative in sense, very interesting, but we wanted to take it one step further and, and you know, put some robustness, some statistical validity behind it to understand which are those key emotions that are really you know, driving business decision makers and, uh, and also how can we interact along the different touch points of the buyer journey uh, in making sure that, that you know, we or you know, the people out there are the, uh, the chosen supplier in the end. So the over, over our um, arching theme of the report is that emotional factors have a much bigger uh, impact than rational factors in a B2B decision-making process. Could you now yeah. then just expand on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think sometimes we think in business decision-making, you know, that it's all rational. Um, but 
I suppose when you sit back and think about it, 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 it does make sense that emotions, we, we, could, we don't leave our emotions at home and in our consumer lives, we, we make decisions. We, we're sometimes more emotive. Um, but, but yeah, what, we, what we've seen within our research, at least, is that you know, in business decision-making, there's multiple decision-makers in that decision-making unit. Um, and actually, the, the advent of the, the internet and the digital age that we're in, this elongated buying journey, uh, what was very interesting is that we saw that between 50 and 60% of business decision-makers don't even interact with a person uh, until they've you know, gone that far along the buying journey, looking at websites, doing their own research. So having multiple different people to speak to, uh, having a lot, lot longer decision-making uh, uh, you know, decision process, uh, we can drive emotions along that chain and make it more emotive. So you know, with them longer buying cycles for uh, B2B companies, what is it uh, that you found that uh, companies can do to become first more visible, uh, but also then end up as part of uh, a, a consideration set? Yeah, well, we, we did see it was a journey. Uh, and at the beginning, you know, it might be different people that are actually doing the research on which suppliers are out there, uh, as opposed to, you know, at the, the very end where it might be the C-suite who are signing off a big check on who to do business with. But at the very front end, to get into that consideration set, um, of course, it, we've got to be omnipresent. So, you know, the omni-channel side of things. So it's not surprising, uh, you know, that Google search and then a company's website, 35% of decision makers said that influenced their decision to, to put a supplier into the consideration set. But I think what was interesting is we shouldn't forget the old tried and tested um, forms of marketing within B2B. So, for example, 35% said the website, but 31% said conferences and, and seminars. Uh, so still that face-to-face -face interaction in a B2B sense. And, you know, we tested all different types of me marketing mediums. Uh, so, you know, we've got online. Social channels, that's quite interesting. 20% said, uh, you know, social media uh, influenced them. So, uh, and I'm can only assume you know that that's going to grow in importance as well um, so so that's very interesting but again uh, direct mail uh, hard copy direct mail shouldn't be forgotten that was close behind social media at 19 percent so I think what we do do as marketeers we we need to you know pull lots of different levers in order to, to push our message across and make sure we, we get it stand out from the crowd or at least get into that consideration set that, that part does surprise me, actually, that uh, direct mail is making as much of an impact, uh, what, 2%, uh, direct mail is making as much of an impact as social media is then on yeah. making process in B2B. I, I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting takeaway from us. I mean, I think, you know, too often we're bombarded, I suppose, digitally, and so something landing on your desk uh, can actually cut through that noise. So it's, it's definitely something for marketers to take away. Yes, and I like it when th things like that uh, do um, uh, become, you find things out like that, but, uh, because the old school stuff uh, of uh, direct mails, yes, it does seem to be coming back for a resurgence. So that was, that was nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so oh, I should put it to the audience right now. If you have a question uh, that you would like to put to Nick uh, to ask, ask Alive on the show, please do put that in the comments section in the LinkedIn uh, box right now. So put a question to LinkedIn, anything about the research or anything you'd like to know that uh, Nick uh, Albinwell can answer, put it in the comments section now and I will put that to him shortly. 
so with so your research also says uh, right here that 56% of the final decision-making process is uh, based on emotional factors. So what yeah. are the emotions that are at play? Yeah, well, we saw seven key emotions coming out uh, from this study, uh, four that were very much dominant and they were very much positive and, and three that, that had a negative influence on the decision making. Um, I mean, I must say that, uh, you know, some of, some of the rational decision making had already taken place because when we got down to the final two, that's when we saw these emotions kicking in. And, and that's where, you know, 56% of the buying decision is based on emotions because They've got to tick all the boxes of the right product at the right price, the right availability to even get into that final uh, two consideration set. But yeah, the, the, the four key positive emotions were trust, confidence, optimism and pride in that order in terms of the influence that they had on, on business decision makers. So what then uh, can companies do to build uh, trust and confidence was the first two, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. What, can they, what, what can they do to build trust and confidence? Well, I suppose um, you know, trust, trust and confidence. I see as a, as aligned around the company itself, uh, the company and the brand. So, for example, trust. When people were talking about trust, it was all about reliability. Uh, will they meet my expectations? Will they do what they say they'll promise? Uh, and so, having the resources, you know, whether it's to do with the team on the ground in the particular geography that we're speaking to, uh, whether they've got that expertise. And also, I think a, an, an interesting takeaway is that, you know, sometimes when people get down to the final two suppliers they're choosing, one is already an incumbent, it's someone that they're using. So that, that previous customer experience builds into that trust. Confidence is slightly different and, and confidence is people were talking very much around the brand itself. And I suppose that, uh, that old adage of you, you'll never get fired for, for buying or specifying IBM fits into that. Uh, and so having that strong brand, building that strong brand out there in the marketplace it is so important. And, and obviously confidence feeds into trust as well, but they are slightly different when people are talking about those emotions. And with regard to optimism and pride, that's, that, that's surely a, a harder one to uh, work on developing. How can um, businesses work to develop that? Yeah, I see optimism and pride talking very much to the, the personal aspects of the decision maker, the person that's making uh, that decision. So especially around optimism, uh, then it's around understanding of that business need, being able to the business issues and being able to you know meet those. And I think a, an interesting piece of the, from the research was the importance of thought leadership, especially in that front end piece. Uh, in fact, 40 percent of decision makers in enterprise, you know, larger organizations said that thought leadership was their biggest influence, which was uh, very interesting to us. So that very much feeds into the optimism. They can, they're, they're the thought leader in their sector and they can deliver something over and above what maybe others can't. And I think then slightly different to that, uh, it was the lesser emotion of the positive, but it, it nonetheless uh, still important was pride. And I think, you know, individually, these people are making decisions and they could be signing big checks for big amounts of money. Uh, and so the client wants to look good. So they want to go with a supplier that, uh, you know, obviously can deliver the job and tick all those boxes, but make them look good and deliver on the promises. Okay. I guess I'm linking to, uh, to these emotions then. Uh, I wanted to also ask, um, 
Did your research give you any indication for what companies can do to stand out from the crowd uh, and with that help nurture these emotions uh, that you're uh, talking about? Yeah, well, I think standing out from the crowd, I, I suppose going back to it, you know, that thought leadership uh, that, that I just mentioned, that was, you know, if you're going to position yourself as a thought leader in your field, then you're definitely going to stand out from the crowd there. But I think being able to grab that point of differentiation um, and and value sell, you know, sell, sell a service or a solution as opposed to just a product. Um, but I think also that the key was that this... This complex DMU decision-making unit um, that companies are trying to sell to, uh, then you know, in smaller companies, yes, it was around you know, average two or three people that were making influencing that decision. Whereas in bigger companies, six or seven uh, in a lot of cases, and therefore you know, making sure that in order to stand out, you need to have mixed messages to different people in that decision-making unit because each one does have an influence, even if they're you know not the final decision maker. I'd like to get, go now to a question uh, we've got from uh, Kevin Anderson. Uh, he, he asks, uh, we'll check out, he'll, he'll check out the full survey, but uh, he's interested to know where case yeah, studies... You, can, clients, you clients, can check it out online. He, uh, what, let me start again. So Kevin Anderson asks, uh, where do case studies, client stories and testimonials fall into the consideration process? I think they're, they're really powerful because that storytelling, that brings it to life. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it was further down the list in terms of considerations. But, uh, you know, if we, if we start to have a look at the correlation of what's really impacting the decision, that's when these case studies showing what you can do in, in a particular vertical or, or what you've done for a particular client. That, again, feeds into that, that trust and that confidence of this company know my sector, they know what the challenges are and they can deliver against that. So vitally important. Now, what would be your recommendations, uh, based on everything you've discovered in the report, uh, for marketers to use this body of knowledge and help drive the business forward? What should be their, their starting points? I suppose, to, first of all, you know, we started off with this hypothesis of is it the head or the heart in terms of you know, how business decisions are made. And, you know, the answer is both, of course. Um, so I think being able to, first of all, you know, pull on those marketing leaders, make sure that you're visible, building that strong brand is vitally important. Uh, but then understanding that omni-channel side, and again, going back to some of those points I made earlier, you know, okay, website, social media, all these digital platforms is so important, but being able to be targeted with a rifle through direct mail, uh, through conferencing, uh, to, to start to build the story and the fact that you know you do need to speak to multiple people um, and at each point they will have different challenges or needs so being able to listen and being able to di directly target to that and I think you know that, that plays very much to the uh, very much always on uh, an ABM side of, uh, of how companies are, are looking to win in business these days. Beautiful. And Nick, well, we of course, need to let people know how can people uh, get hold of this report. What's the easiest way of uh, seeing this in more detail? Yeah, well, it, it's uh, it's digital uh, and it is a hard copy as well. The easiest place is to, to go to our website, 
uh, which is b2binternational.com. Uh, and on the top line, go to Thought Leadership. And from there, you'll see a drop down and you'll be able to uh, click on. It's called The State of B2B, uh, but the, the title is Winning with Emotion uh, because that was the, the, uh, the theme for, for the most recent survey. Nick, thank you ever so much for joining me today. Uh, this has been very much on point and in line with a lot of what all the other experts are, are saying. So thank you very much for uh, joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks for having me, James. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Right. And if you've enjoyed watching, then please do uh, subscribe to the 414 podcast or visit the website, the414.net, for all subscription options, previous episodes, uh, as well as finding out how you might like to be uh, a guest on the show if you have some value to share. But in the meantime, I'm James Rostance. Thank you very much for joining, and we'll see you here same time next week.